you have trust issues? Chances are you do. According to a survey of more than 25,000 respondents across eight major global markets, consumer trust in brands is down across the board, and expectations of social responsibility from brands is up. That tidbit, while not exactly shocking, is the core takeaway from the 2019 Edelman Trust Barometer Special Report, released last week by Edelman, the world's largest PR firm. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of AdAge, and Trust in Me is up. Just ask me. <laughs> I'm joined today by Richard Edelman, the president and CEO of the company that bears his name. We'll get into this crisis of brand trust and opportunities for companies therein. We'll talk about what his clients increasingly want from him as he evolves his own business, a PR firm, to include more advertising capabilities. We also get a little personal and discuss what it's like running an independent family-owned company that was started by his father, Daniel J. Edelman. Plus, he describes a visit from Orville Redenbacher. We'll get a little taste of that popcorn. So let's get started. Richard Edelman, welcome. Good morning, Brian. Adam. Thanks for joining me. Uh, you are, well, Edelman is the largest private family-run public relations firm in the world. That's a that's a that's uh, quite a thing to be uh, sitting on top of. I'm a journalist. Journalists and PR professionals have a long and fraught love-hate relationship. Uh, how uh, how has the, the perception of PR evolved over your career? You grew up, your father started the firm, you yeah. grew up under the firm, you now run the firm. How has PR evolved? So the most important change is um, it's not sufficient to go through media to tell stories. Uh -huh. That, in fact, you have to go direct through a company's own channels or social platforms or, or others. Um, that the mainstream media is still the most credible right. source um, for uh, readers. But they don't have a monopoly on It's not a monopoly on distribution anymore. Yeah. And I think the nature of the PR relationship with uh, journalists has changed, therefore, um, from one where, you know, we were totally interested in pitching stories and f having relationships to that being only part of the skill necessary, mm -hmm. the necessity of being able to create your own content and go direct and go fast and go visual mm -hmm. um, is, is the big change. You have to be storytellers in your own... Right. Story. What was the what was the word in can? Story doers. Story livers. Well, story doers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's that's journalists. Uh, obviously, self interested question. What about on the client side? How is how's the job of the PR professional evolved? So today's CCO is actually um, sometimes the sustainability officer, sometimes the diversity officer. Um, it, it is still um, media relations, um, but. Also now employee communications. Um, so the remit is broader mm -hmm. and it overlaps the CMO's job. Mm -hmm. um, and so particularly for companies that are in the front lines of the trade war or um, have positioning in, in, in sort of uh, young, urban uh, kind of consumer, um, that Venn diagram is is really quite overlapping, mm -hmm. CMO, CCO. Um, that's interesting. And, and you guys uh, – put out a big report uh, just last month, I think you released it when you were at Cannes, mm -hmm. uh, about trust in brands and, and the expectations of social responsibility from brands is up among consumers. 
uh, trust is down uh, in brands sort of across the board. A little bit of a uh, sort of no-duh no um, conclusion. Uh, but what do you take away from that? What do you want people to take away from that? So actually trust uh, right after ingredients and price and availability comes trust in the brand. And that is followed by supply chain and values. And so, again, this intersection of brand with reputation is clear. But I also want uh, basically brands to appreciate 80% said um, that trust in a brand matters to purchase. Right. Um, but only 30% of the consumers we studied uh, said they trust the brands they buy. Right. Um, and that 50-point gap is an opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's a big chance. Um, consumers want uh, programs not just that deliver on the product experience or the customer experience, but they want societal impact. What? And two-thirds said, I will only buy a brand that stands with me on the issues that matter. So what, what explains that 50-point gap? I think many brands are afraid to do more than their customary remit, which is to deliver on um, a good product experience. Yeah, right. um, and <laughs> But uh, unfortunately, uh, generic products, uh, store brands, um, or – Increasingly, these um, sort of you know, young companies run by entrepreneurs are offering this kind of societal uh, aspect to their brand. So if you're a smart company, if you're Unilever and you buy one of these companies, mm -hmm. you need to let Ben & Jerry's continue to carry on its tradition of, of uh, political involvement. Mm -hmm. um, you should welcome that. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're a mainstream brand and you're trying to uh, beat the competition – you should do something like Dove with its men's product uh, endorsing paternity leave mm -hmm. where you're pushing uh, for real change. Um, this, this in contrast to something like the Gillette campaign, the, which, the, which, the, was, which was more the kind toxic of image. Masculin the toxic masculinity thing is this the best a man can get. It felt tacked on or it was more it's of a, a it's campaign. An, it's an image campaign yeah. and, and it's an advertising classic approach and I, I think – It wasn't true to the – core DNA of the brand. Correct. Right. It, needs, yeah. it needs to be consistent and it needs to be um, continual. Right. It, it needs to be a five-year commitment, not a campaign. And the gold standard for that, especially coming out of Cannes, is, is the Nike Kaepernick campaign, which I know that you are interested in. You, and and will, you, will you flag a client when you mention Yeah, we, we, we don't work yeah. on Nike. Yeah, I know. Um, so, uh, but I do think it's interesting today that in the wake of uh, – um, Kaepernick's um, objections, um, Nike withdrew a product uh, which had a Betsy Ross flag on the back on the basis of wrong symbolism. Mm -hmm. So again, it shows the power of um, this kind of societal impact and also the power of um, those who are you know, visible celebrity cum, uh, athletes mm -hmm. who stand up. Mm -hmm. um, were there any surprises in that, in that report or that study? I think the biggest surprise was the unanimity cross markets, cross age groups, cross gender um, for uh, this deep desire for um, brands to lead. This right. idea of brand democracy, that I can make a bigger change by what I buy in the store every week mm -hmm. than what I do voting every four years. And, 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 but, but also, Brian, compared to last year, there was less belief in brands right. uh, doing it. 
So last year, it was brands were ahead of government in being able to solve societal issues. Mm -hmm. This year, below government, and that's a low bar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, why, they why don't do want, want they don't want they don't want brand consumers don't want uh, trust washing. Right. You know, uh, Alan Jopa Unilever called it uh, woke washing. Right. Um, however you call it. Yeah. The, the the point is, be true to a mission and actually do something, uh, and don't just like market it. And, and, and he was really strong about saying Unilever will not work with companies in, in, our, in, in our space, marketing services companies that actually do uh, trust washing. Right. Um, that's a pretty uh, strong uh, statement. And we're coming, we're coming out of Pride, and there was, um, there was a lot of woke washing uh, during Pride Week and, and pushback against brands who were sort of seemed like checking a, a rainbow box. Um, there was a, a hilarious Instagram account called Unhappy Pride, which is all brand examples of sort of this almost cynical embrace of, of, of LGBT, LGBT. LGBT issues. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's in the air, but what do we really want brands to leave? I mean, it's a, I want, I want a brand to sell me a toothpaste and then go away. Or you, what, what do people really want? I think people don't want brands to go away. I think they want brands to be uh, in a relationship um, where it's brands listen, brands advocate, brands morph to um, pick up on moments in time. Um, and you know, our, our client uh, Trojan was very active in the Pride Parade in New York. Well, and that's a fit. <laughs> total fit. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And, but they should be, um, you know, talk about safe sex, mm -hmm. but also help support the parade. This is eminently sensible. Right. Um, but make it logical. In other words, it better be within the brand's remit. Um, yeah. And yeah. That makes sense. Um, is, there, is there a crisis in, uh, in history that you guys, that Edelman didn't touch, that you would have loved to have uh, managed? <laughs> well... We've managed a lot that are. There's a lot you can't talk about. We no, know no, that. no. But yeah. you know, I'm so proud that we worked with Starbucks a year ago uh -huh. um, on what happened in Philadelphia. That and was the the two the, two uh, black guys who were kicked out of the store before, and yeah, they were just waiting but for a friend. The unbelievable response by the company of closing its stores for half a day, mm -hmm. coming up with a curriculum over a six week period, um, making it a moment in America where we looked at ourselves uh -huh. and they made that curriculum available to any company that wanted it. Uh, and it's significant that uh, Starbucks sees its role as not just the third place, but that Kevin Johnson, who's the CEO, sees that it's a leader company. Uh -huh. and, and it needs to, again, stand with its customers um, and embrace its employees and say, look, you know, we all have to consider who we are at this time in yeah. the country. And so you, you, di you guys did work on that. What, mm -hmm. did, what, was the, what was the mandate for you? Well, again, um, I, th this was Kevin Johnson's mandate, the mm -hmm. CEO. He, he rightly recognized um, the importance of uh, how you treat customers. Yeah. And it's pretty, pr it's pretty basic, yeah. but it's, it's also fundamental to um, – any service business. Um, so I had asked uh, about a crisis that you would have wished to have worked on, but you mentioned one that you did work on. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very, very smooth uh, transition. <laughs> is there, is, uh, so I'll, if, you, if you have one that you would have loved to have worked on, like the Hindenburg or whatever. Uh, uh. <laughs> Before my time, mercifully. 
Uh, what what has changed? And when we talk about attribution, uh, uh, well, what, what, the ROI for the client, what, what are the metrics people are talking about today? Well, I think increasingly um, in our work, uh, we're being actually measured on do we um, sell product? Do we um, work in a way with uh, influencers that's uh, catalyzing others to buy? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not sort of gauzy reputation. In fact, we have developed a uh, concept called net trust score Mm -hmm. that uh, measures ability, dependability, integrity, and purpose. And we do it across employees and customers, um, investors, et cetera, and measure, that's a reputation measure. We're also in the process of developing one for brands, Mm -hmm. which we'll have for next year Mm -hmm. um, on the same sort of metrics. So, you know, we're trying to put trust at the center of our positioning for Edelman. We, we're calling ourselves the house of trust mm-hmm. um, because we actually think that trust is the most important attribute that you can have in your employee relationship, your customer relationship, or your investor relationship. And, and trust is something that uh, maybe you don't always associate with PR firms, but you don't always associate with journalists. Um, so that's a, it's an interesting positioning. Uh well, it's based on 20 years of work that we've done on the Edelman Trust Barometer, which right. I think is probably the best known piece of intellectual property and marketing services. Mm-hmm. And because we've done it so consistently, we've been able to find trends like a mass class divide or the idea of trust moving local this year to, to my employer, mm-hmm. my employer being 20 points higher than a normal business. Um, and so it means that CEOs three quarters say, I want CEOs to stand up and speak up on issues of the day, pay, diversity, retraining, those sorts of things. Those are not usual swim lanes for CEOs. They right. just make money and you know talk to shareholders, not anymore. Right. Employees want a CEO who stands up and speaks up. Um, you're also getting more into the, uh, almost in the agency space. You guys hired Judy Johns. Uh, she's your first global chief creative officer. Uh, you hired her from Leo Burnett, Canada. Um, what's the, what's, what's that play? What's, what's her role? So five years ago, we decided that we wanted to compete more broadly, mm-hmm. um, that, uh, we wanted, uh, to work of course with the CCO, who's our primary client, but also with the CMO, um, that increasingly, um, there was a need for earned creative, which is, uh, as fast as the news cycle, social by design has purpose at its core and starts movements. Mm-hmm. And so, um, hiring Judy, in effect, is the capstone of a four-year process in which we've hired 600 people into Edelman who are creatives, planners, paid, et cetera, um, on top of 750 people who are in Edelman Digital mm-hmm. um, who are creating communities and doing um, you know, B2B um, marketing. So uh, one quarter of Edelman's total staff now is non-PRs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and so it's a very profound – uh, change in corporate strategy, uh, which we think suits the market. Is this uh, uh, sort of a do or die kind of thing? You have to evolve? Well, we certainly saw the media landscape changing, our oxygen supply constricting. We also saw that um, we, we were able to actually move uh, opinion and, and also move sales. Um, when we worked on CBS getting out of cigarettes, for instance, mm-hmm. um, their preference went up substantially. Um, so we thought that we offered something different. So now we are explicitly 
competing not just with our usual enemies of Weber Shanwick, et cetera, mm-hmm. but also now with ad agencies and digital firms and to a smaller extent, uh, media buyers. This is almost a bigger, broader trend with, you know, you have consultancies getting into the agency space, agencies getting into the PR space, everyone's swimming in each other's lanes. Is it tougher to differentiate now? Well, um, again, Judy John joined Edelman because she believes in earned creative. Mm-hmm. As she said to me in Can, if I never produce another 30-second spot, it's just fine with me. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I actually believe that between ad blockers and people choosing uh, to opt out of advertising, uh, in particular through Netflix or other, mm-hmm. that you know we need to earn attention. Mm-hmm. And that's the secret of campaigns that um, are – Movement-based, mm-hmm. like the REI campaign that got the uh, titanium two years ago of opt outside and mm-hmm. closing all the stores a day after Thanksgiving and letting all the people you know go off for the first time in twenty years and mm-hmm. uh, their sales went up mm-hmm. substantially. Um, that's the kind of action that if you're a company and you want to do something important, you should look at Edelman as your primary agency mm-hmm. partner. Mm-hmm. Not, um, to be, not to be commercial. Yeah, yeah. Well, we don't have. You know, I didn't realize you were. <laughs> We have no sponsor this episode, I don't think. So there you go. Okay. <laughs> you, got a, you got a freebie. Um, you, uh, uh, I, I want to talk about your own personal story. Sure. You have, uh, you're, you're sitting on top of this company that your father started, uh, yeah. and he had to actually convince you to join the firm, if I understand correctly. Wikipedia says you were going to take a job at Playtex. True. Accurate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what happened there? Well, I, I was you – know, I had worked for Swift & Company the summer before. Uh, at, I was in business school and Playtex was another division of Esmark and they referred me over there. And I was going to be a junior product manager on you know, tampons or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad had an offer to be acquired by DDB Advertising mm-hmm. in the spring of 78 and he didn't want to sell. So he called me and he said, look, uh, I don't want to sell. I, I want you to come here for a year. Um because I think you'll like the business, and I, I, it gives me a good reason not to sell. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Edelman at that time was six million dollars, and and uh, you know today we're almost a billion. So I'm really glad we didn't. So anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, he, is it what's it, so working for your dad? I mean, uh, people, you know, potentially a, a fraught relationship. I would imagine, or there's certainly a big shadow. Is mm-hmm. you, you must think about legacy a lot. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. Not to put you on the psychiatrist couch or anything. But no, I'm happy to tell you the story. Yeah, so yeah. we worked very happily together for 35 years. There was 733 nautical miles between Chicago and New York. Mm-hmm. I being in New York, he being in Chicago. I, I couldn't be in Chicago because people would call me Dan, <laughs> which is not my name, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. You know, I was junior, and I didn't want to be junior. And so I was in New York, and in 1982, uh, two managers in a row had resigned or been relieved. And he said, why don't you take over the office while I find someone? Mm -hmm. And um, I did pretty well. And Mm -hmm. so within four years, New York office was as big as Chicago. And so I had kind of proven myself. Yeah. (laughs) And I did it differently than he did it. But I probably did it exactly the same way he did it in Chicago. Yeah. But, which is what? Which what? is, you know, cold calling companies and, yeah. and, and, you know, hustle like hell and sleep in the office and write proposals overnight and just, you know, will you do what you do when you're 27 or 28? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I didn't know much about your dad. I was sort of Googling around. I guess he, <laughs> he has a master. He had a master's in journalism from Columbia, right? Correct. He was a journalist. He started on the uh, CBS uh, night news reporter and he promoted jazz artists. 
I read. Is this it's true? Absolutely who, who true. Who was he working with? He was working for CBS Records and running yeah. around to DJs with a buck and yeah. saying, please play these albums. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't fancy, right. you know, but um, he was doing a promotion with the Tony Company packing press kits on a Saturday and the president of the Tony Company walked through and said, I like you. You work on Saturdays. I don't have a PR director come to Chicago. Uh, so uh-huh. that's how he did. And then for four years, he worked at Tony. And then he started Edelman in 1952 with four people in the merchandise mart Got it. in Chicago. So you guys weren't like having Felonious Monk over for dinner or anything like that? No, no. No, <laughs> no but we did have Orville Redenbacker. Oh, that's It was cool. awesome. No, I, I, have, I, have, I have never burned popcorn. No, I, Orville taught me how to make popcorn. What's the secret? Totally. You've got to cover the bottom yeah. with oil. Preferably Wesson, um, and then two kernels. It's Wesson and client. Two, it, no, okay. but <laughs> Wesson it works better. And then uh, two kernels in the bottom. Heat the thing, and then when those two kernels pop, you put the rest in. Cover the bottom thinly and uh, low heat. Oh, Turn amazing. it from high heat to low heat. I've been doing it right the whole time. Though. There you go, bud. All right, because people microwave now, which is just no good. But I also got to meet Miss America when I was thirteen. I didn't wash my hands for two weeks. <laughs> she, she was awesome, Phyllis George. She was, she was married to the head of KFC, John Y. Brown. I thought I was going to die. It was, <laughs> it was amazing. I, I went to the Playboy Mansion when I was 13, which was pretty pretty cool. That's, it was like a Monty Hall tennis tournament, celebrity tennis tournament thing. That's fun. It was fun. Uh, swam in the grotto. Um, you, uh, you, uh, you, and then so on the other side of it, you, ha- you yourself have three dollar daughters. Yep. Are you, are you going to leave the company to them? Are they going to take over? That's the intention. Is that the plan? Yeah. So two of them, well, one of them is at Edelman right now. She's the eldest um, in San Francisco. Then second one, was at Edelman for five years. Now she's at uh, B School. And then the third one um, hasn't come to Edelman yet, but right. she's in the target. So staunchly independent, you're going to remain independent is the, is the plan? You wouldn't sell? Well, so <clears throat> the, the advantage of being independent is you can make these big uh, transitions mm-hmm. um, and not have to worry about uh, you know, immediate acceptance of the idea. I mean, in fact, our financial results are a bit slower than I would have liked for the last three years. Mm -hmm. But the process of persuading clients that, in fact, we can do more than we classically did and here's the work and here's Judy John to persuade you, in fact, that this big idea is something you should do, this all takes time. Mm -hmm. And I'm incredibly proud of, of work that we've done for, you know, not just CPG clients, but also um, in in B two B, etc. So, I, I I am deeply confident in our ability to compete more broadly now. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, speaking of independent <clears throat> topic that that everyone was uh, interested in it, it can certainly was uh, David Droga, who just yeah. sold his ad agency Droga Five to Accenture uh, for what we estimate to be four hundred and seventy five million dollars. Mm. Uh, not a bad day for David. Uh, are so. This is just off the off the table entirely for you. Um, Look, and what do you make of that? I, I, you, you've sort of already answered that, but what do you make of the Droga acquisition? Well, Droga needed to get to global scale. Mm-hmm. He had really good operations in a couple markets. He's a brilliant creative, mm-hmm. the best, um, and Accenture needed credibility and creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, good deal for both. Um, a good deal for both until earnouts and everyone leaves Droga, well, right? Yeah, maybe. Um, but in our case, you know, we're already in more than sixty markets. We're the biggest firm in the PR sector. Um, we are, in fact, uh, in New York. Um, I think fourth among any agency. Mm-hmm. You know, 
after McCann and BBDO, for instance. You know, we're 900 plus people. Mm -hmm. um, so we're getting to the scale where we can compete evenly um, across digital, experiential, classic PR, crisis management. So I, I like our chances. You, you, so global, you're talking about scale, you're talking about global plays. Um, before we turn on the mics, you were interested in talking about China, India. What's, yeah. what are you seeing? What are the sort of emerging trends that you're looking at? Well, the big opportunity is to take Chinese, Indian, Middle Eastern companies to the global market. Also to challenge the stranglehold that Dentsu's had on Japanese companies going outwards. Um, because our success strategy so far has been U.S. and U.K. companies serving them globally. <clears throat> but increasingly, the business mix is, you know, there are 50 Japanese companies in the Fortune International 500. Mm -hmm. I mean, so that's a big chance mm -hmm. uh, if we can persuade those CMOs, as we have with ASICs or others, to take, a, take the chance on Edelman. Mm -hmm. um, and... We've done tremendous work for them on the blackout track, for example, which is an all-dark running experience that we did for a launch of a product, very successful. Um, so <clears throat> and, and working with Mitsubishi also. Mm -hmm. um, so we're proving the case. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about talent a little bit. Sure. Um, do younger people who are just entering the PR business have a sort of inherent advantage in understanding maybe social media or the digital space? Uh, what uh, A and B, what do you tell older PR staffers to do to sort of keep themselves uh, learned up and relevant? Well, for older staff, including me, um, <laughs> the idea is not to be a witness but to be a participant. Mm -hmm. And the essential um, aspect of hanging with 26-year-olds and, you know, what did you? What are you doing? And mm -hmm. why Instagram? And, and and what are you doing on on your uh, social campaign for Asics? And, mm -hmm. and and why are you starting in social and then going to owned mm -hmm. and then going to earned? Um, because I grew up going to earned, mm -hmm. <laughs> pitching reporters. No, no, you have to go backwards now mm -hmm. um, and build um, buzz and. Um, I, I, me, Richard, am deeply interested in uh, what we're doing with influencers now. Yeah. Um, that, not, has, that moment hasn't passed? No. I think nano and micro influencers moment is actually coming mm -hmm. even more because um, – and we, we – you know, because we do Samsung Mobile. It, that was absolutely fundamental to the recovery of that brand, to work with the influencers who believed in Samsung and <clears throat> in their sincerity and fixing the, their product. After the exploding phones yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that. But yeah. the yeah. – the, idea of nano and micro and helping them earn their way to a bigger position as mm. opposed to just buying influence, which Keith Weed a year ago at, you know, can said mm -hmm. for Unilever brands, we're not going to do that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and we think too many of the influencers are kind of buying audience. Mm -hmm. Nano and micro ones are actually using product and are deeply more credible. Mm -hmm. mm. What's, how many followers do I need to have to be a nano influencer? I don't know. 10,000, yeah. 5,000, and it depends who they are. Yeah, I need, I need more followers before yeah. you can hire Well, me. you can get there. Yeah. <laughs> um, what um, employment is, is, is one measure of what's going on in 
public relations and the yeah. economy more broadly, the PR agency employment last October hit an all-time high, mm-hmm. uh, which was surprising. Uh, it's fallen off uh, a bit since then. What what are what is what do those numbers suggest about where the economy is going? Are you is there is there a recession on the way? Are you nervous or have we are we is this ten year boom sustainable? So, I think the number of PR jobs has increased um, partly because money has take has come out of advertising. Ah, interesting. Um, and also partly because it's come out of journalism. Mm-hmm. And companies and brands want to communicate. Um, they are seeing that PR spend is only like 6% of uh, total marketing services. So if it goes to 7 or 8, it increases it by 25%. Mm-hmm. Um, and the bigger growth is actually in the midsize agencies mm-hmm. um, than in the biggest firms. Um, there's less price you know, compression. Mm-hmm. Uh, but – I, I, I'm not immediately worried about the economy. No, I don't think that there's a recession yeah. happening anytime soon, okay. except in some markets in Europe where I'm a little nervous. Yeah, Brexit, et cetera. Correct. Um, we we hear a lot uh, about marketers asking holding companies to bid on it, their entire advertising account. Are you, do you see the same thing on global PR accounts where clients looking to consolidate with a single PR agency network? We're seeing um, the benefits of that in some cases, uh, clients wanting to get to efficiency, making deals with us. Um, we obviously don't benefit if they try to do that with holding companies. Yeah. But I see that less than before. There's not a, a trend to, uh, well, let's just pick IPG or whoever. Right. They want the best in class and we think we are. Um, so we tend to you know, be able to get around that. Right. Um, we're coming out of can. Uh, you you were at Cannes. Uh, you go to you, your big Davos guy. What is the best of these types of events for you? What, what do you get the most out of? Well, for me, for years, it was always Davos, um, mm-hmm. and because of the trust barometer, et cetera. But I must say, increasingly, I get more out of Cannes um, than than I do out of anything because I am uh, jerked into understanding that uh, ad agencies are being asked, for instance, to do 1,000 ad executions on a concept um, that are, in a certain way, destructible within two weeks. (laughs) The omission impossible kind Mm of. Yeah, this uh, this message will self-destruct. Self-destruct. This podcast is going to self-destruct. No, I hope not. (laughs) Um, But uh, I wouldn't have known that without without Can. And I wouldn't have observed the... uh, frankly, the opportunity for us uh, as, as much about Earn Creative if I hadn't been going to camp. Right. How, uh, been going over how many years? This five. Okay. Uh, and you were saying that more CMOs are here, were, were there this year than, than years past. Yeah. I, yeah. This was the CMO can. Mm-hmm. Um, and CMOs are on the panels mm-hmm. and they are making uh, significant commitments to you know, spending with Hispanics or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever um, in a public forum. Mm-hmm. And that's different. They were observers before. Now they're kind of leading. Is that because their job is in danger? The, the incredible shrinking CMO tenure? I think CMOs are um, wanting platforms in which they can uh, lead yeah. within their companies. Yeah. This is clearly one where they can. Right. 
Um, anything on your anything else on your mind? I just want people in uh, marketing services, advertising, et cetera, to take seriously this idea of trust in uh, hmm. in brands. That um, it's not a uh, maybe um, to actually instead of just differentiate, which has been our job for years. Mm-hmm. Um, this make a difference. Uh, push ideas to your clients and don't give up first time around yeah. um, because they actually need as brand leaders um, to um, to do something different. Um, otherwise, they're going to be commoditized or they're going to be in uh, price competition with generics. It's, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and the society is so um, missing out on <laughs> normal government. Yeah. <laughs> and um, brands can really fill that hole. Uh thoughts on 2020 or where things are now, speaking of government? I find it amazing um, that after one debate, um, you can see a like 12-point drop for one candidate, yep. a 12-point increase for another. Yep. The volatility and the kind of, you know, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> the, the Which is not, the, it doesn't the, speak well for the Dems, frankly. The, the, the political landscape is actually interestingly comparable to how people look at brands. Yeah. If brands have a screw up or whatever it is and they don't handle it well with a sense of humor mm-hmm. um, and fast, they can really be hurt. Right. Um, so but, the new, but the way the news cycle is, I mean, by, by November, these debates are ancient history. Oh. Who, who, rem- no, no. who will remember? Uh, yeah. Precisely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but the idea that no one is so fixed on image mm-hmm. um, and that it's all a matter of jockeying positioning. Mm. I mean, it'll 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 get narrowed yeah. um, quite soon. It'll coalesce. Yeah. Uh, do you think he'll get reelected? Most presidents get reelected if the economy is good. Yeah. This could be an exception. Okay. But you know, who knows? Uh, there's. That's why it's a horse race. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can we'll, we'll revisit this uh, in 2020 and yeah, see, exactly. see see where it all shook out. Thank you, Richard, for joining me. This was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Thanks. Always a pleasure to speak with Richard. Richard Edelman is CEO and president of Edelman, the world's largest PR firm. That's quite a gig. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of Ad Age, and you have been listening to Ad Lib, produced this week by Max Sternlicht. Be sure to check us out at adage.com. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. That's what they all say. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, you get the picture. Give us lots of stars. Please tell a friend. Happy holiday to you all.